All right, everybody, let's come and grab a spot. I know y'all are talking to each other and you like each other, but we got to start got to start church sometime, so come grab a seat. We'll get started here in a second. It's good to see all of y'all this morning. Uh, for those of you who came to our All God's Children service on Wednesday night, uh, you were able to partake in our Ash Wednesday service, uh, which means that Lent has begun, and this is the first Sunday of Lent. Uh, Ash Wednesday kicks off a 40-day period where we prepare our hearts and minds for Easter uh, weekend, the celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so this time building up to Easter is a time of testing. Many Christians all over the world and all different kinds of churches will take time to pray and fast and give money away to the poor, and all of that is meant to prepare us. Um, we Each year we get to celebrate the fact that Jesus died and rose for our, for our sins and to give us new life, and so um, this is a special time we set apart just for that purpose. Uh, if you're here for the first time, we have a QR code up on the screen. Uh, if you grab your phone and scan that QR code, you can fill in contact information. We're not going to spam you with a bunch of questions. We just want to let you know you're welcome at this church, and we will answer any question you have for us. Uh, as we prepare uh, to sing, I just want to ask everybody to bow your heads in prayer. We'll begin by focusing our attention on our Heavenly Father. Let's bow. God, we ask that you pour out your spirit on this place. We ask that you would be with us. And we pray that whatever distractions we may have, whatever difficulties we've faced this past week or the months leading up to this day, we ask that you would turn our attention to your son. We want to be with him and be like him. And we pray that you use this morning's service to transform us into the image of your son. If there's anyone here who is far from you, who doesn't know you but is open to knowing you, we pray that you would use this service to draw them near. We ask that if anybody is dealing with great pain or suffering in their lives, that for just this morning, we ask that you would give them the ability to put all of their heart and mind into worshiping you. That whatever that suffering is would not be a roadblock or obstacle to glorifying your name. God, we pray that every, everything in our schedule would be second place to you this morning. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, Ray. Before we sing this morning, I wanted to read a little bit from Luke chapter 12, if you will allow. And while we're getting that ready, uh, go ahead and cue up uh, 79. It'll be our first song. Mitch spoke about a wedding this morning, and I, I wanted to uh, convey a feeling I have a, a lot this year, and that's, that's what I would call... Um, just that on Sundays I'm very inspired and at peace and in a good place. And by about Wednesday or Thursday, I'm just pretty much beat down. 
uh, it's very, it can be very difficult to reconcile what I think I know about God, which is by definition incomplete, and what I think I know about the world, which is by defini definition self-inflicted, into a view that seems incompatible and remote. <coughs> but anytime you come to that position, you always have to contend with Jesus, who honored the Father. <coughs> and in regard to what we should, how we should orient our thinking, regardless of whether we understand it all or not, this is from Luke chapter 12, uh, the words of Jesus. He says, watchfulness, be ready, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself and serve and he will let them recline at the table and come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. For understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must also be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. And continuing, the Lord answers, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them food and allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. He says over and over again, it will be good for those whom the master finds watching and waiting. And so I think part of that is an attitude, a stance of attitude that we take, that we will be ready, regardless of what we understand about the world or think we understand about the progression of the world or God's plan, we are going to be ready when the master comes home. Let's stand and sing 79. God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes will surely from Jesus a pardon receive. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done. 
and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But turn over and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Amen. And 133, do read it. He leadeth me, O blessed Lord, O word with heavenly comfort brought. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hands he leadeth me. Sometimes it seems of deepest gloom, sometimes where Eden's bowers bloom. My waters fill for troubled seas, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hands he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hands he leadeth me. Lord, I would clasp thy hand in mine, nor ever murmur, nor repine. Content, whatever, Lord, I see. Still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hands he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hands he And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory's won, even death's cold grave I will not flee, 
that you have, <coughs> Jesus paid it all. Let's remain standing for this song as well. <coughs> Everyone have the insert? Okay. Jesus paid it all. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spot and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, I'll lay my trophies down, I'll down at Jesus' feet. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Amen. Please be seated. good to see everyone this morning. I'll admit up front, I don't know what's in your closet. I only know what's on mine. My granddaddy told me one time, don't worry about it, because God heals all of us at the same time. So would you join me in prayer to our Heavenly Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you with contrite and tearful hearts. We know what we have done. We know that you know what we have done. 
don't deserve, we beg for your mercy and your forgiveness. And when we're even bold enough, Father, to ask for your blessings, for your blessings for this little church, help us to do the things that will show your light to those around us forever be the Christians that you want us to be. We ask your blessings on our country, Father. It's a time of great turmoil. We don't know all the answers, but we know you do. And we ask, Father, that you give our leaders the wisdom and the fortitude to step out of the limelight in which you lead them. And for our city fathers, we ask the same thing. Give our leaders the fortitude to step out of the limelight. We thank you, Father, for the many blessings that you've given us, for the many blessings of the friends and loved ones in this room, for the friends and loved ones who are watching on YouTube, and Zoom, and we ask, Father, that you heal them and bring them back to us as soon as you can. And in ending, Father, we ask you to accept this prayer that your son taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. reading today is from Mark 5, 21 through 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and passed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him and he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you 
is just like that. And I said, and yet you can act? He touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus and the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? They were hearing what he said. Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was a 12-year-old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Reading of the word. All right, if you have not been here for the past couple of weeks, we have been talking about the Gospel of Mark. And we started all the way back in chapter 1, and we saw the relentless pace of Jesus Christ's ministry. He cannot be stopped. He moves from one part of his mission and immediately straight away goes to the next. And yet, at the same time, he is able to withdraw from the crowds and pray to his heavenly father. That was amazing. In chapter 2, we saw Jesus's divine authority to forgive sins. And I want you to realize just how big of a deal this is. If someone sins against you, you are able to forgive them and say, I'm not going to hold this over your head anymore. Jesus is able to forgive sins you've committed against other people and against God. That's the level of authority he has. In chapter 3, we talked about Jesus's very complex and very challenging teaching on the family. He says that whoever does the will of God is his brother and sister. So he is establishing a spiritual family around himself. And he believes that that spiritual family takes priority over your natural family. Now, he honors his, his mother. He honors his biological family. But the spiritual family takes priority precedence. Doing his father's will is what's most important. And then last week we talked about Jesus calming the storm. Um, this, this story has often been used to conclude that God calms every storm in our life, but we saw that that's not actually true. When you look in scripture, you see plenty of times where God does not calm the storm. What's most important to do in the midst of one of the storms in our life is to trust him, to know that he is in control, and we can ask him to help us, and he will decide 
how to help us, okay? So that's the past four chapters. If you haven't been here in a month, you're caught up now, okay? We're now talking about chapter five, and what's so important about this chapter is we're, we're, we're going to focus on miraculous healings, but I don't want to just talk about the power of those healings. I want to talk about the method of those healings because I believe the way Jesus performs these healings is just as important as the fact that he does them. Because we know Jesus heals in many different ways throughout the Gospels. So my question is, what does his style tell us about him? What does his style tell us about his character? What does his method tell us about who he, he, he is, his identity, okay? So if you have a Bible, whether it's a Bible on your chair or a Bible app on your phone, get out your Bible, get out your favorite translation. If you don't have any access to a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen, and we're going to walk through this story again. And I want you to keep in mind, how does Jesus heal? Don't just focus on that he can heal. Ask yourself, how? Okay, we're going to start in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. I want to stop right there. Jesus had a complex relationship with the synagogue, to say the least. Sometimes he's invited to the synagogue, and they want to hear his teachings. Other times he is very controversial, and they want to kick him out of the synagogue. So what's really important is that this synagogue leader, he is on a mission, and he doesn't care who sees him in the crowd. He's going up to Jesus, and he he's, has a mission, okay? He says, my little daughter is dying. Y'all, I am a brand new father of a girl who turned two today. Every time I read this story now, it's way different. Because I cannot imagine what pleaded earnestly means. Right? I can now imagine what that means. I beg Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. I can hear the desperation in that father's voice and the faith. Look, I believe if you just touch her, she'll be healed. Now, Jesus consents to this, and so they start walking to Jairus' house. But we're caught up in the middle of this story when a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Years And y'all are, some of you, if you've ever dealt with any kind of chronic sickness in your life, you are going to relate to the next verse. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Can anybody say amen to that? This has happened to many of us in this room. We're trying to get better. We go to one doctor after another, we spend an inordinate amount of money, and we don't just stay the same, we get worse. Now, I want to add one thing to her plight here. Not only is she broke, not only is she sick, not only does it seem like she's incurable, guess what? She is ritually unclean. 
This is a Jewish woman, and she knows in the Torah it says, if you are bleeding, you are ritually unclean, as long as you are bleeding. So for the past 12 years, this woman has not been able to go to the temple and worship with all the other Jews. Imagine her life year after year after year. And I love this, but she heard about Jesus. We don't know what she was told. But she drops everything she's doing, and she comes to this divine physician. And I love this. You need to picture this in your head. There's a large crowd following Jesus, going to Jairus' house. And what does she do? She stealthily sneaks up behind him, right, in the crowd. She doesn't want to be seen. And we read that she, t- she touched his cloak. Now, some people get the image of, like, she grabbed, she grabbed him by the back of his of his clothes, that's not probably what we should imagine. Every Jewish man wore tassels at the edge of his garment, okay, all around the the edge of his, the hem of his cloak. So she probably got down on all fours, crawled through the crowd, and touches just one of those tassels. And I love this, because this is her plan. It's not super complicated. If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And guess what? We read this word that Mark loves to use immediately. Her bleeding stops. And she feels in her body that she is freed from suffering. Have you ever felt enslaved to suffering? And she is freed from it instantly. And then this next verse, it has perplexed many a commentator. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he looks around in the in the crowd and asks, who touched my clothes? And y'all, the disciples, they say what we're all thinking. Jesus, you see this people crowding around you and you, you ask, who touched my clothes? Right? Jesus, everyone is touching everyone right now and none of us like it. Why are you asking who touched your clothes? And Jesus, he just ignores them. He keeps looking around. He's going to see who has done this. And then this woman, knowing that she's been healed, knowing what's happened to her, she comes and she falls at his feet. Do you remember that phrase? That's exactly what Jairus did. She falls at his feet. She's trembling with fear, and she tells him the whole truth. And you can just imagine this. This woman, she comes up to Jesus, and she says, look, Jesus, I just, I heard about you, and I've been bleeding for 12 years, and I've never able to go to the temple, and I've gone to so many doctors, I've lost count, and I've spent every last penny, I'm broke, I'm unclean, and I just thought, look, it's a simple plan, but it worked, I just thought if I touched your clothes, I would be healed. And he says to her, what's that next word? Say it out loud on three, one, two, three, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I love that Jesus confirms what she felt in her body. You know what? You have felt enslaved to suffering, and now you feel free. Be free from your suffering. Now, that would be a great end to this story. I'm going to be honest. It'd be great to stop right there, but we're, we're in the thick of it still. Because, to be honest, I relate to Jairus right now. And I would be like, Jesus, 
let's hurry it up. We've got important matters to attend to. My daughter is dying. Why are you talking to this woman? Let's pick up the pace. We got to get you back to our house and, and heal my child. But while Jesus is still speaking, people come from the house of Jairus with the worst possible news any parent could hear. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher? What do they think? They think there was hope when she was sick. But now that she's dead, I mean, there's no point anymore. And I love that they tell Jairus this in private. And while Jesus is speaking to this woman at his feet, saying, daughter, your faith has healed you, he eavesdrops and overhears them telling this to Jairus. And so he turns to Jairus and says, don't be afraid. You, you believed me before when we started on this path. Don't lose faith now. I need you to keep trusting in me. And at this moment, he decides not all 12 are going to be able to see this. I, I'm going to pick three apostles. Something has changed. Jesus is going to do something that he only wants a few to witness. He lets only Peter, James, and John follow him. They get to the house. They see this commotion, people crying and wailing loudly. And Jesus goes in, and he asks them something that to modern ears, really to anybody's ears, sounds very rude and very insensitive, almost callous. He says, why all this commotion and wailing? The child isn't dead but asleep. Now, you got to know, sometimes in the Bible— People with a divine perspective ask questions that seem kind of ridiculous to humans. Remember in the, the resurrection scene when the women go to the tomb? What did the angels say? Why do you seek the living among the dead? The women could have responded, well, because we saw Jesus die. That's why we're at the tomb where we think he's buried. We're seeking for the dead among the dead, but the angels know something that the women don't. Jesus isn't dead anymore. And what does Jesus ask here? He asks, well, why all this commotion and wailing? Because he knows something is about to happen that they don't know. And so they laugh at him. And so he decides, all right, you're going to laugh at me? Get out of this house. I love this. I don't know if you've ever noticed this detail. He's like, all right, y'all get out of here. I get to decide who sees what's about to happen next. He takes Jairus. Jairus' wife, Peter, James, and John, and they go into this room where Jairus' daughter is. And I want you to look at what Jesus does. It's exactly what Jairus asked for. Jesus took her by the hand and says to her, Talitha kum. This is his own Aramaic, his native Aramaic language, and it means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Remember what he said just a second ago? The child isn't dead. She's just asleep, right? When we go into our child's room, we can wake them up with a word, or at least some of our kids. Other kids, you can't wake up with a word. It's like shoving them and bothering them until they finally wake up. But Jesus, this is what's amazing about his power, he can raise people from the dead with a word. That's exactly what happens. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around, and at this, they are completely astonished. Okay, 
Remember, this entire time we're asking ourselves, why did Jesus heal in the particular ways he does in this chapter? Because it's obvious that Mark wants these two stories to be told together. There are so many similarities, it can't be coincidental. They both struggle with a serious illness. One is terminal and one is incurable. The woman has 12 years of chronic illness and the daughter is what? 12 years old. Jesus goes out of his way to call the woman daughter. They both have faith, right? If you just touch my, if, you ju if there's just touch, we will be healed, right? And immediately there is healing. Okay, what do we learn? First of all, Jesus heals when the untouchable are touched. If you go back into the Old Testament and you look at the Torah, it says not just that these two women would have been unclean. If you touch them, you would also become unclean. This is what's so scandalous and why the woman comes up to him trembling in fear. Why? Because she was nervous. I probably made the rabbi unclean by touching his garment. But Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how it works with me. When I touch you, you are cleansed. You are healed, right? Your death, your sickness is not as powerful as me. My life and my healing is more powerful than your death or sickness. And I heal you when I touch you. That's what Jesus does. And he does the same thing for the dead body of the girl. He heals when the untouchable are touched. The second thing we learn is that Jesus will not let amazing faith go unrecognized. You can always imagine these stories going a different way, right? Jesus could have been walking through the crowd. The woman touches his garment. She's healed. And Jesus just keeps going on his merry way. Right? He could have told his disciples later, you know, you, you won't believe what just happened. I healed somebody and didn't even tell you. He could have done that. But why does he go out of his way and make so much effort to say, who touched my clothes? Because he doesn't want amazing faith to go unrecognized. He does this all the time. Remember when they're in the temple and they're looking at all the people giving money into the temple treasury? And there's that widow, right? She gives her two last coins. She has nothing left. And then Jesus pulls his apostles over and he says, hey, look at Look at her. She's giving more than anybody else in this room. Why does Jesus do that? Because he wants to show examples of amazing faith. Think about the Roman centurion who says, if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel, right? He loves recognizing amazing faith. He wants to point it out and say, this is what I'm talking about. When you trust in me, like this. Now, this whole series is about how amazing Jesus is, and I think for some of us, when we read a story like this, we think, yeah, that is amazing for them. It's amazing for people 2,000 years ago who could go up to Jesus and touch him and be embraced by him. That is amazing, but it's amazing in the past tense. But Jesus has ascended into heaven. We can't touch his body anymore. So how is that amazing for us? Why is this good news for us right now? Two reasons. First of all, 
I don't think it's actually accurate to say we can't touch the body of Christ anymore because the New Testament refers to more than one thing as the body of Christ. When Jesus is having his last supper with his disciples, he looks at the bread of communion and what does he say? This is my body. Every time we come to church on Sunday and we partake in communion, we are embracing the body of Christ. Can you believe that? That's actually possible for you. You thought he was inaccessible because he's in heaven, but he's not inaccessible. We partake in the body of Christ every single week. Second, and this may sound strange for a second, but I believe that we are promised a resurrection that is greater than what Jairus' daughter experienced. Okay, let me tell you what I mean by that. That might sound strange at first, but this is what I mean. Jesus took her hand and said, Talitha kum, and she, she rose from the dead. She came back to life. But at some point, whether it was a year later or 10 years later or 50 years later, guess what happened to Jairus' daughter? She died again. There, unless Jairus' daughter is roaming around planet Earth right now, she died again. But when we are raised from the dead, we will never die again. I want you to, I want you to hear this passage from Philippians chapter 3. Paul promises this. He says, we eagerly await a Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. When we are raised from the dead, we are going to get something better than what Jairus' daughter ever had. She was resuscitated, and then she died again. When we are raised from the dead, we will never die again because we're going to have a body like the body of Christ. I can't put a, like a slide on the screen to show you what that body's going to be like, but it's gonna, I know one thing about it. It can't die. It is invincible without suffering, without pain. That's the body that we're promised. And this is what's amazing to me. Just, I can't picture it. I can't fathom it. But one day, I'm going to be in a grave, and Jesus is going to take me by the hand and say, my son, get up. He's going to do that for each and every one of us. Did you know that? He is going to say, my son or my daughter, to each and every one of us, he is going to take us by the hand and say, get up. And he is going to raise us from the dead. He is going to call us out of our graves. That's what's amazing about Jesus. He promises that to each and every one of us. So it's not amazing in the past. It's amazing in the present. He is amazing right now and for all days to come. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the promise of resurrection. We thank you that one day we will experience what Jairus' daughter experienced, but even greater in an even more glorious way. God, we pray that we would just be in awe of the way that Jesus heals. He can heal with a word. 
miles away, and yet he decides to come to earth and to take the hand of a dying girl. He welcomes the embrace of a woman with a chronic illness, and he heals. He heals with touch, with an encounter. God, we pray for an encounter like that, that we would be healed when we come face to face with Christ. God, we pray for faith like Jairus's, Jairus and the bleeding woman. We pray that we would just have an ounce of trust like theirs. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us and always making us seek after your son. We pray this in his name. Amen.